communion is a, is a really awesome thing. Um, if you look back over church history, the whole, the whole Sunday morning service originated um, what's now, now the Catholic Church since the Reformation, right? But they basically, the whole Sunday service was all about communion. And it was all re- revolved around communion. The, the readings and the prayer time were all a preparation for communion. The actual act of communion was almost at the very end of the whole Sunday morning process because that was the culmination of all of it. And um, it's pretty, pretty wild that it all turned into all of that. Uh, the, the communion is sharing a cup, sharing a bread, and it's sharing in the covenant that Jesus made. And if you could imagine, I mean, we, we see this in some science fiction movies. We see this in, there, there's a comic book when I was a kid that, that had this, that whatever happened to one person happened to everybody. And in G.I. Joe comic books, there were these twin brothers, and whenever one of them got punched, the other one would spit out a tooth, you know, kind of, oh, they'd feel each other's pain. And that's what a covenant does, is that whoever's in that covenant, in the Old Testament, the way, the way it worked, was whoever, whatever happened to one person in the covenant happened to everybody in the covenant. And so you might have this awesome leader and he would come and he would say, I'm going to make you my right hand man, my right hand lady, and you are going to be just like me. You're going to be equal to me in this region. And whatever somebody does to you will happen to me. And then I'll bring my whole army and avenge you. That, I mean, it was like a bond. And so Jesus makes the covenant with the disciples. And in that covenant, he's saying, whatever happens to you happens to me. And whatever happens to me affects you. And he did that so that the next day when he would die on the cross... That punishment, that, that distance separation from God that every one of the disciples deserved and every one of us deserved would fall on him. And since he was pure and didn't deserve any of that, God saw that righteousness and God the Father rose him from the dead and said, that, that counts as a sacrifice and the sacrifice is done, and now you have everlasting life. And everyone that was covenanted in with Jesus by the bread and his blood was part of that covenant and receives that everlasting life. That's how all of that works. That's why he says this is a new covenant, a new covenant, so that whoever's joined with him in that covenant gets to share what he shares. We're going to talk today in Ephesians about inheritance and about portions. And basically, Jesus was saying, by this covenant, I bring you into my family to receive everything that my family has. You, have, uh, you might have friends that have like front door privileges that they can come to your front door and ask for anything, any time of day. But then you have this next level of friends that have refrigerator privileges that they can come into your house 
they can walk in and they can stand and hold the refrigerator open, right? Usually only grandkids have refrigerator privileges. Jesus brings us into the family that we would have refrigerator privileges, that we would be just like the family, that whatever happened to him would happen to us. So he took the pain, he took the death, and the life happens with us. That's why later in the New Testament it talks about our baptism symbolizes that death so that our life is full of his life, right? They all go together. So as you partake today, and we'll pass it out and we'll all eat it together, think of Jesus has made a covenant with you, a promise with you, that all of the goodness that he gets to share in, you get to share in also. In him we have obtained an inheritance. And so here I am, studying this, the week after my dad passed away, and I'm filling out all kinds of paperwork, and I'm talking to lawyers, and I'm talking about an inheritance. And then I'm reading the Bible, and it's talking about an inheritance, and it's a little close to home, right? But guess what? There's a whole school of thought. There's this whole group of Bible translators that say that this word is not inheritance and that this word actually doesn't have anything to do with an inheritance. And then I start looking deeper into that and then it makes it even funnier that, uh, so I'm an only child. So when it comes to dividing up the inheritance, here I am. My mom said when... uh, years years and years ago she said now I'm writing up my will and when I when you get my your inheritance from me I don't want you to do anything rash actually this is before what we were married this so this must have been like 25 years ago my mom says I don't want you to do anything crazy with your inheritance like go out and buy a moped and drive across the country I was like wait a minute my inheritance can buy me a moped Why are we even having this conversation? You should just spend it. I don't need an inheritance. It was pretty funny. When I worked at the bank, I was a programmer. And about once every three or four months, we would get a phone call from a customer service person at the desk. And they would say, we're filling out an IRA, opening an IRA, and they have a... the benef- we're filling out the beneficiary form. And as soon as they said beneficiary form, I knew what they were going to say because we had the same problem come up over and over again. The guy has three sons, and we want to divide the, inher- the uh, IRA, the, the beneficiary form, the inheritance, equally. And so we put in 33, 33, 33, And it gives us an error that we can't go on to the next page because I wrote the software that they would fill in all that information. And I'd say, well, yeah, it has to add up to 100%. And they'd say, well, we can't because they want to divide it equally among the three of them. And I said, well, you can't divide it equally among the three of them. It's impossible. And they would get mad. Sometimes they'd get mad. Sometimes they'd be real easygoing. And they'd say, well, you have to, you wrote the program, you have to make it do it. And I'd say, I can't, it's math. 
it's not the program. And they would go and, you know, we'd work through this thing and I'd say, here's what you do. Can the three brothers agree on a charity? Can they agree on one charity that, that they agree across all three of them? And say, yes. So you give 1% to that charity and then 33, 33, 33 to the rest. And that, that, honestly, that was how we fixed it. That was the only way to fix it. What that is, is an inheritance, right? But what's the problem there is the allotment or the portioning out of that inheritance. Well, the Greek word right here in Ephesians 1.11, where it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance is better translated an allotment. And it was the, the portioning out that a lot of times would happen with an inheritance. And so, you know, connotatively, they, they translate it as an inheritance. But it's better, it's better translated, in him we have a, obtained an allotment, a, a portioning out. So me and the kids go out on an adventure. And we want a snack. And there's six of us, and we have three granola bars. But every granola bar is a two-pack, right? So I open up the granola bar, and I don't give everybody one package of granola bar. I open up every granola bar, and everybody gets one granola bar. That's their allotment. That's their portion. It's not their inheritance, Okay, there's a difference there, but it's their allotment. And that's what that is. Okay, so then I start questioning this word inheritance, and you start going back through the scripture, and you know how the Levites, Moses is up on the, the hilltop, he comes down with the Ten Commandments, everybody's worshiping a golden calf, Moses gets mad. And he says, who is with the Lord? The Levites say, we are with the Lord. And they repent. And from then on, God says, when we portion out the land, the Levites will receive me as their inheritance. God's not going to die and leave something to the Levites. The Levites receive the Lord as their allotment. And so they go into the promised land and they say, okay, everybody from this river to that hill, that's the tribe of Dan. And everybody from, from the hill down to the forest, that's the tribe of Manasseh. And, and they portion it all out. The allotment or the portion for the Levites is no land. It's a city here and a city there and a little city here and a city here because the Lord is their portion. The Lord is their allotment. So that changes the way we read this, and it changes the way we can think about it. I got really excited. There's a, a Bible translation called the Net Bible. And the Net Bible was uh, a group of Bible translators and historians and archaeologists got together. And they didn't like it that whenever somebody does a Bible translation, they put a copyright on it. Like it belongs to a publishing company. And they said that the, the Bible translation should be open and accessible to everyone and not owned by a publishing company. 
So they made the Net Bible. And when they translated it, they put in the notes of the Bible, here's how this company, or these people, translate. here's how the NIV translates this word. Here's how the ESV translates this word. Here's why we translated it like this. And it's just huge with notes. You can't buy... You can't buy a full print version of the Net Bible because it would be so huge from all the notes. You can only get it electronic. It's just ridiculous. Here's how they translated this section of Ephesians. In Christ, we too have been claimed as God's own possession. They translate it as not that we have been given an allotment, but we've been claimed as God's possession. We've been claimed as God's allotment. Now, wait a minute. That, that really kind of flips it. But go back in the context. Let's start at Ephesians 7, uh, chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That whole section is all the stuff that God did to save us. Here is how God saved us. Here's how God lavished his grace upon you. Here's how he revealed himself to you. And then let me plug the net translation in there. In Christ, we too have been claimed as God's own possession. Isn't that wild how it fits? That all of this stuff happened not to give us an inheritance, not to give us all the riches of what God has, but it was because God was claiming us as his children. And since God is claiming us as his children, then we are, we are his possession. We're part of, of, his, uh, of his ownership. Think through, you know, if you've ever bought something expensive, right? And I mean something that, that you either had to get a loan for or you knew you had to save up for a long time to get it, or one of those things that after you bought it, maybe after a week or two, you checked your bank account, and you were like, whoa, why is it so low? What happened here? Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Uh, we, you know, we bought the van. I, I forgot. That's, that's why the checking account has one significant digit less this week, right? That kind of thing. Or that's why, oh, that's why I have this whole payment book when you buy something that's super expensive or super important, um, Cindy got her wedding ring cleaned this week. So we're talking about like wedding rings is like this new shiny thing. Like when I bought that wedding ring, I was holding on to that thing. That was like, you know, I don't care where I parked the car in the parking lot. I don't care if I'm next to every shopping cart that's going to smash the whole door of the car. Oh, oh, where, where am I keeping this ring? Where am I putting this important deal? And then even after that, I'm like, are you sure these prongs aren't bent? Yeah, no, that's ongoing. 
God has made you his possession. He has lavished grace upon you to the praise of his glory. You know how proud you are when you, you, hey, you guys, come back in the backyard and check out my new grill. Or you pull up that first Sunday to church with your new van, right? Ooh, there it is. You, you walk in, I mean, I don't know if kids still sing the new shoes song. New shoes and new shoes, I got my new shoes. We used to sing a new shoe song because we were so excited. That's to the praise of God's glory. He bought you and he is so excited that he has lavished grace upon you to make you his possession. That's what all of that section is. So it all culminates in we have been claimed as God's own possession. God is thrilled to buy you. He has no buyer's remorse. He doesn't even care about the receipt. He doesn't care about the warranty. He has purchased you. In him, in Christ, we've been claimed as God's own possession, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. It's so crazy that anybody would believe in God in this hopeless, despair-filled world. And when God puts his Holy Spirit in us and brings about hope, darkness looks like an idiot. Darkness is driven away. Have you, uh, have you ever had a conversation with somebody that was really mad at you or upset about something and you didn't let it get to you? Maybe somebody, maybe this reflects on my driving. How often people are yelling at you and you have no idea what happened. Okay? You're driving along in your car and they're blah, 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 blah. And you're just like, oh, I must have cut them off. I don't know. I don't know what happened. Or times at work where someone's complaining and this is terrible and this thing is awful and this and that. And you bring out some positive thing. Well, at least we know what we're going to be working on all year now. Right? When you bring that hope, when you bring that, that little bit of goodness, when you bring that little bit of joy, that is to the praise of God's glory. To the praise of God's glory. Sometimes I, you know, will be in, there will be some conflict in the house or something, and I'll just ask the question, where is God in this right now? What is God doing right this minute? And all of a sudden, that is to the praise of his glory. Because we're focusing, you know, if we focus on this crack in the stone, we focus on this problem and this trouble and this bad thing. As soon as we say, where is God in this? We make us be the, the eternal beings that we are. And we quit looking at this thing that's right here. And we bring him glory because we bring him into that situation. That's why he saved us, that we would have hope in him, that we wouldn't despair, that we wouldn't be hopeless. And it, it is to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed 
with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The guarantee of our allotment, of our portion, of of the part that, that we are a part of God, the promise of that is a seal, and that's the Holy Spirit. Used to be, this. Well, we were talking about this at home, and it was blowing my kids' minds. Used to be when you'd go to Toys R Us, and I would buy a Nintendo game, they would have this big wall of all the video games, and when you wanted to buy one, you would just pull down this little ticket. And that was how they kept shoplifters from shoplifting. And you would take the ticket up, and you would buy the ticket, and they would stamp it, and then you would take the ticket that you just paid like 50 bucks for over to this giant locked up cage that was like Fort Knox. And they wouldn't even open the door. It was like a little window. I mean, I have no idea. I'd never seen anything like this until then, and I've never seen anything like it since. And you'd slide it in, and they'd look at the ticket, and then they would go and they would pull the video game off the thing, and they would slide the video game out and you would have it. Now, it was as good as yours from the minute they stamped it. Yes, I have The Legend of Zelda is mine. I can't wait to get home and play it. But that little piece of paper was not it. I couldn't play with that piece of paper. But, oh, if I took it over here and I got it, now I have the gold box. It was the first one that had a battery in it and had memory. And it was, I mean, it was high tech, big deal. That was it. So the Holy Spirit is a seal, is that stamp. And when you start to think, gosh, a seal and a stamp is not much compared to the fullness of the thing I'm going to turn it in for, right? Think that through for a little bit. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts of discernment, of wisdom. The, the, the Spirit helps us to know out of nowhere, for no reason at all, on a Tuesday afternoon at 3.30 to pray for Dan as he's grieving the death of his dad. And all of a sudden, there I am, sitting at my desk, texting my wife, saying, oh, I just want to go home and take a nap. And my coworker comes in, and he's like, dude, I'm sorry, I just heard about your dad. Tell me about him. Somebody, the Holy Spirit said, I want you to participate with me in helping Dan out. And so I'm going to prompt you right now, why don't you pray for him? Oh, oh, yeah, that's good. God, C.S. Lewis, he wrote this awesome thing. I got to figure out what, what book it's in. About how God designed things, he designed the cosmos so that he would actually listen to us and act on it. He, he is not, he, he loves us and he's made us a part of the family. He's not autonomous. He's sovereign, which means he can do whatever he wants to independently. But if he wasn't able to listen to us, then he would be limited. Does that make sense? So in his super all-powerfulness, he made himself able to be wooed and turned and steered by our prayers, by his own choice. 
uh, I have a buddy who's like the f- one of the best jujitsu artists in America. And sometimes when his uh, students feel like they're getting beat too bad, he's like, okay, well, come here and tie my arms together. And they tie his hands behind his back, and then he still beats everybody. <laughs> but he, being the jiu-jitsu instructor, said, will you guys do this because I want this this relation I want the way we're going to fight and what I'm going to teach you to be different and it requires me to have my hands tied behind my back doesn't make Casey any less powerful as a jiu-jitsu artist right doesn't make him less powerful it makes the way he's going to interact differently God isn't any less powerful that he listens to our prayers he's built in the his own system in his own universe that he wants there to, to be an effective relationship between us, that he would listen to us. So the Holy Spirit can come and prompt us to pray, and how we pray can affect God, and how God acts and deals and moves and does something. Now that doesn't mean we have to walk around in panic. Oh my gosh, what if I pray wrong? Oh my gosh, what if I miss it? And then, like, all of California falls off into the Pacific Ocean because I didn't pray when I felt like I should pray because God also made it big enough that the Holy Spirit can work with multiple people at once and multiple people can participate with Him. The Holy Spirit is that seal that's on us. If that Holy Spirit seal is that amazing, that we can be, be unified in our prayer life, that we can be unified in, in, our, in our zeal and our excitement about something. If you, if you have ever been with a, a close Christian brother or sister that shared in a joy that has something good happen to them, and all of a sudden you are excited and happy too, That's the Holy Spirit. Because what's the flesh want to do? The flesh wants to be jealous. Why'd they get that? I didn't. Why'd that good thing happen to them? And I've been trying hard, and the good thing didn't happen to me. That's the flesh. The flesh is always trying to put itself first. But the Holy Spirit is trying to build up the whole church. All right, I carry on. All of that is just the ticket, you guys. That is just a little token. That's just the seal of the fullness of the grandeur of God that is our portion and our allotment that we are going to receive and be a part of in the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Like, does that just not want you to just like, I mean, whatever. Every day for Jesus, all day long, when you think, gosh, just... The Holy Spirit is just a seal. The Apostle Paul could have used all kinds of images, all kinds of examples to describe what the Holy Spirit is. But he chose to use a seal. A seal only the very rich and super powerful would seal things because they were the only ones that had power to enforce what would happen if you broke the seal. 
big deal, right? And so the Holy Spirit is that seal. We are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. That means the Holy Spirit is going to be with you from here on out. In Psalm 51, David prays, don't let your spirit leave me. And that's even in a modern worship song. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Guess what? Ephesians. If I'm ever somewhere and we sing that song, I might just scream Ephesians 1.14. We're sealed. He's not going to take his Holy Spirit from you. Why? Old Testament. New Testament. Old Testament, you carried your sin. It got atoned for on the Day of Atonement, and then you carried it again. And as soon as you sinned again, you carried it all the way till the Day of Atonement, and then it got taken away, and then as soon as you sin again, you're carrying it again. Gosh! New Testament, Jesus is your sacrifice once and for all. All of your sin is taken away. And now that there's no sin in you, you've been washed clean, the Holy Spirit can dwell in you completely. Not just on you. Gosh, we are going so slow through Ephesians. This is going to be awesome. So there it is. You have been brought in. There is an an allotment, a portion for you, but you are God's portion. God loves to own you. He loves to to have you. He loves to show you off in in the spiritual realms. He loves to show off. You know, every time we do something that is led by the Holy Spirit, and we talk about this, we'll talk about this in Ephesians 6. Every time we do something that's led by the Holy Spirit that brings glory to God, there are actual demons and the devil looking on that are defeated in that moment. And all of heaven rejoices that another victory is won. It's just one victory. It's just another sign of the victory that has already been won. And that is our spiritual growth. That is our our continual You know, I got a buddy, he's 84, and he's just like, I learn new stuff from the scripture every day, and I've been studying it since I was 13. That's the ongoing spiritual growth all the way until, just like we sang, we fully know it, and we fully see God, and we fully uh, take hold of and are taken hold of as a complete possession of the Lord. All right, let's pray. Lord, all to your glory. Thank you so much for lavishing your grace upon us, for sealing us with your Holy Spirit, and making us a part of your family. Completely and fully. Thank you so much for the hope of heaven that we carry. And thank you so much for the joy of the Holy Spirit that is present and around us and showing up right now. We praise you, Lord, and we pray that you would bring events and moments about that we would be able to see this and learn it every day. We love you, Lord. Amen.
So church, as you go out this week, just remind each other and remind yourself that you have been bought and purchased by God and he loves you so much. God bless you.